Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Lawrence Simon, and the show is The Stories We Live By. And I sort of almost didn't do a show today, but a topic came into my mind. I used to do enjoy uh, teaching in school when I taught college, and I thought I would do a show like this. Um, I find that when I <clears throat> discuss something that's topical, uh, I do much better than if I discuss the emotions like I'm going to do today in the kind of abstract. And yet I really do feel that uh, a topic like this, if understood, uh, could save somebody $50,000 in psychoanalytic treatment bills. I really do. Um, there was a wonderful analyst by the name of Karen Horney, and uh, H-O-R-N-E-Y, and uh, in fact, people used to uh, refer to her name as Horny, Karen Horny. She wasn't. Uh, she was apparently some gal. Well, anybody who in the early part of the 20th century, living in, uh, it was a Germany or Vienna, who could end up going to medical school as a female, uh, had, had stuff on the ball and knew how to take care of herself. But um, probably had a lucky lucky that she had a family the way but she used to say all the time that if people could understand certain principles and ideas they could analyze themselves they could do their own therapy um, or else they could share stories um, and and uh, with others if they learned how to tell the story uh, and how to listen to a story so I um, I provide this for whatever it'll be worth if anybody would like to call in and discuss, I'd love to uh, hear. I see I have a couple of uh, people online, which is always gratifying to know you're not speaking just into air. So anyway, I wanted to talk a little about emotions, and particularly uh, some of the painful emotions. Because, well, actually, I could talk about happiness too. Uh, you know, America is now a land of idiocy in so many ways. And, and the expectation is you're supposed to be happy 24-7, and if you're not, there's something wrong with you. Uh, I have a wonderfully favorite author, uh, uh, what's his name, Graham Greene, who was a British uh, uh, author, 20th century, and Catholic, very Catholic, took his Catholicism very seriously, but not in any primitive way. And he used to write that anybody who was happy all the time um, really had was showing either ignorance uh, or of the world because if you read the Times or you read the New York the papers uh, and you just sit there and you're chortling and you're happy, something is going gaga. Or such a person, if not ignorant, uh, is an egotist and really doesn't care about anyone or anything other than themselves. Or finally, he added, they're just plain evil. Um, Evil people or people who, who do evil things, I define evil as, as hurting others or, or not being indifferent to their pain. Um, and I suppose if you become indifferent to your own pain, your own emotions, uh, it's easier to become indifferent to others. Although as I did that show on love uh, last week, or, um, if, you, if, you, if people have been indifferent to your feelings, it's easy to become indifferent to your own. Uh, again, that's why you share stories and include feelings and include what, what's going on. Uh, it makes it clearer to you and to the other individual. And so I wanted to talk about uh, emotions like shame, guilt, anger, and anxiety. 
And what set me off on this, I mean, it was, was hearing somebody say for the 11 millionth time, my mother made me so ang- uh, so gu- uh, guilty. My mother made me so guilty. Um, and you hear this all the time. You made me angry. You make me angry. You make me anxious. And in order to understand why that statement, that building a story on that can only give you grief and the people you're with grief, we have to understand a little bit about feelings and emotions. First of all, every emotion, even the ones that hurt, uh, are important for our survival, for our prosperity, and for our relationships. They're not there for no reason. Emotional pain is there for a reason. And it's, it's there to motivate something, to motivate behavior, to motivate actions, to remove that pain. So that when we talk about an emotion like anger or guilt, um, or people are depressed, they're feeling despair, uh, empty, uh, Usually there's rage mixed in, and I'll say to them, what do you think is going on? What do you think you're depressed? There's no reason. That's what I'm told. There's no reason. Or somebody is responsible for making them feel this way. And um, this is where they get into trouble, because what they're leaving out is that emotion is a result of how you interpret what's going on. An emotion is different from one person to another in the same situation because two people may completely interpret that situation differently. So that a person who feels responsible for something happening, who says, boy, I'm at fault for that, will feel guilty if it means they feel they've hurt someone. All right, so if you go talk about guilt, if you feel that you've hurt someone, You've not lived up to a standard, even in your own eyes, by the way. I think you can feel guilty if you hurt yourself. I really do. Uh, And there's an awful lot of guilt. We know when we're not living up to our own best standards and doing for our best interests. When we kiss the boss's ass, when we stay in a relationship we know is no good for us, where somebody is giving us grief, uh, cheating on us, lying, abusing us, and, and we then try to find all kind of justifications. Well, it's because he loves me, because I love him. Um, and then it could be guilt. And a guilt because what, what was going on is that you know on some level that you're really hurting yourself. Now, a lot of these interpretations don't have to be put into words. Some of them are perceptual. Some of them are intuitive. Um, and, and so uh, the emotion that results in a given situation is always based on interpretation. And in a little bit, I want to talk about children's interpretations because that's really where psychotherapy very often can help, a good therapy. Uh, You know, not one that diagnoses, but that one that helps you really genuinely understand what's going on and why you're so depressed and why you're so guilty and anxious so much of the time, why you feel so ashamed all the time. There are people who walk around in a perpetual state of shame. And, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So there's an interpretation that goes on. So when somebody says to me, my mother made me feel guilty, I ask them the following. What is it that your mother said that you did or didn't do? That's what I want to know. What is it that your mother said that... I, 
Well, she says I'm not kind enough. She says that uh, I don't do my chores. She says that I didn't make the bed. She says that I'm a lousy student. She says that I'm letting her down. She says if it wasn't for you, your father and I could have had a good marriage. She makes me feel guilty. No, no, I'm sorry. We have to slow this process down. That's what she said, and that's what she's responsible for. If you're feeling guilty, then on some level, you're agreeing with her. If you didn't agree with her, you wouldn't feel guilty. The emotion of guilt or shame or anger is yours. And it's yours because of your interpretation of what someone else said or did, or what you did or said, or didn't do. I mean, it's, 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 you know, our guilt can be about things we've done or things we didn't do. Uh, we didn't visit a friend in the hospital. We didn't pay a bill. And we feel guilty about it. We say, oh, I don't want to feel guilty. Well, nobody wants to feel guilty. It's a painful emotion. But the guilt tells you that you believe you've transgressed, let someone or yourself down, not live up to a standard. That is, is to me, always a truth. Now, children will interpret things, like my parents um, would have had a happy marriage, and that really has to be understood from an adult perspective. And that's difficult, and that's one of the reasons I talk about not getting better, but growing up. You don't get healed, but you change interpretations. Little kids have very little to do with their mother's and father's happiness. And often parents, unhappy marriages, look for scapegoats. Well, unhappy presidents of the United States look for scapegoats. People often in authority find a way of shifting responsibility for their actions onto people who are uh, more helpless, more dependent upon them. And if there is no examination of what someone else says is your responsibility, then you can end up concluding, as children do, I'm responsible. I made my parents miserable. Well, the fact of the matter is, what you did is what you did. Your parents' misery, if in fact it's dependent upon what you did, is because of how they interpreted the situation and how they dealt with that situation. And unfortunately, growing up is hard to do, as the old song goes. And our parents may not interpret things any more maturely or any more grown up or any more better than we do. So when someone says, my mother made me feel guilty, the guilt is yours, I always tell them. And the guilt is yours because you must be agreeing with them. Now let's talk about what you're agreeing with. Let's see if the facts are straight. Did your mother really stay with your father simply because of you? Or was she afraid to leave because she was afraid she couldn't earn a living? And then she then look at you as the responsibility that kept her there? Well, the fact of the matter is a lot of women do walk in a very unhappy marriage. Some take their kids with them and some walk away. And it happens. People resolve their problems in all kinds of ways. There is no one way. But when the parent lays this responsibility on the child, as we say, lays the guilt trip on the child, the child can feel infused with guilt 
but only if they interpret that the parent is right. And one of the things about growing up is to be able to understand motive and understand that what you're a child, you were relatively helpless compared to the power of adults and parents. And that what you may believe you were responsible for as a child, you weren't responsible for at all. Um, I had a woman I worked with who, for about 10 years, who was diagnosed as schizophrenic, that awful, awful word. And she came out of a very, uh, of a home. The father had abandoned the mother. The mother was a very embittered, angry uh, person but very Catholic, I mean fanatic, a religious fanatic is what I would say. It's a label, and maybe unfair, but that's, that's my label for her. And she constantly told this little girl as she was growing up, you're responsible for all the evil in the world. You're, you're the devil. And she drummed this into this kid. And then when this youngster, she was about my age, this woman, and she was about five or six, she opened up a newspaper and she saw pictures, this is 1945, and she saw pictures from the death camps, from the Holocaust. And she concluded, based upon the interpretation that she had internalized from her mother, that she was the, the cause of the Holocaust and that all the misery and suffering in the world was the result of her and her thoughts and her actions. And Try to put yourself in someone's shoes. What do you do with that kind of guilt? What do you do with that kind of shame? As I'll discuss the difference between guilt and shame in a bit. She's trapped. She's trapped in her own skin, feeling guilty for things that, from my point of view, she couldn't possibly in a million years have anything, uh, uh, anything uh, to do with. The Holocaust, World War II, uh, the Cold War. Um, and so she became powerfully delusional. She began to talk to God, and God answered. There was the devil. There was all kinds of conversations back and forth. To me, uh, this, this craziness, that I call it craziness or madness, not an illness, not a disease, was a desperate attempt to come to grips with this guilt that was pervasive in her life, this feeling of, I am no good. I have caused all this misery in the world without ever being able to stop and interpret or reinterpret. And what was interesting is that I never really was able to get her to change her interpretation. I worked with her for over 10 years, and it was not an easy go. But, but she, she never gave up that interpretation, uh, uh, that, that uh, God was watching her, that the whole universe uh, was on guard against her, and that her actions were capable of destroying the whole world. Now that's a very powerful idea that can come out of childhood and create guilt. It's an extreme example, but, but that's how it works. So nobody ever made you feel guilty. Nobody ever made you feel ashamed. And I want to talk a little bit about the difference between shame and guilt. Uh, shame is a hard, hard emotion to live with. Shame Guilt is the feeling you've hurt another or you've let a standard down. Shame is that people are looking at you with disgust and contempt. That's shame. And uh, uh, Freud wrote a lot about shame in relation to toilet training. Well, he did a lot on toilet training. And, and by the way, let's not 
make a big deal out of that because in Freud's time, uh, toilet training was a big deal. The toilet training was demanded by a specific age, whether a child was ready or not, and they would force enemas on a child. Uh, all, all kinds of battles took place that nobody won about toilet training. So there's all kinds of issues. But um, if, if somebody is seen as disgusting for their feces or disgusting about sex, uh, then the individual may interpret themselves sexually as disgusting and now not be able to look at themselves, not be able to look at their own genitals, not be able to even look at themselves in the mirror. Uh, one of the hardest uh, courses my students would always tell me that they had to take was speech, because speech course required them to stand up in class and make a speech. Um, I, have, I speak publicly, and I haven't done for a while, although next Tuesday I am speaking with a large group down here, about the drugging of children. I put that on the air a couple of weeks ago, uh, so there would be a dry run, and people who missed it or wanted to hear some more about it could go back to it. Uh, but they'll say, how do you stand up in front of a group? And my response is, uh, I stand up easily because I don't feel that whatever they're looking at is so bad. If I say something they don't like, that's okay. Uh, they don't have to like it. Uh, as long as I don't feel that I'm trying to directly insult somebody or hurt somebody uh, or be disgusting, you see, uh, somebody can tell me they think I'm disgusting, but I won't feel shame unless I agree with them. See, the interpretation that what I've done is disgusting uh, and, sh and awful and contemptible and I should hide myself, and that's exactly what shame makes you want to do. Uh, you know, when Adam and Eve uh, ate the tree of knowledge, uh, they were suddenly shamed in God's eyes, so they covered themselves up. And, um, you know, uh, nakedness in our society is a big deal. And the fact of the matter is, uh, there are people who in the marriage bed, uh, when they're, when they're in looking in the mirror, can't look at themselves because they feel that somehow their body, their genitalia is disgusting. And when you feel in your own eyes, in the mirror, that you're disgusting, that you're contemptible, uh, that you're beneath dignity, uh, then the result is shame. Now, again, guilt and shame, I think, are good emotions. If you tell me you want to go uh, and expose yourself in the park uh, and you feel too ashamed to do it, I go bully for you. Hooray, hooray. That's nice to me. In my value system, a good shame. On the other hand, if you tell me that you can't go up uh, and say hello to somebody to meet them socially because you become so embarrassed that you just want to die and have a hole open up, then I would say let's start to examine what is going on here in terms of your interpretation of yourself and where this interpretation comes from. Because I've met very few people that when I look at them, uh, would have to feel ashamed of their physical appearance. Really, very few. In fact, anybody who holds somebody shamed in shame because of how they appear or how they look, it's their problem, it seems to me. Uh, it's their cruelty. Uh, so, so, again, this can be reinterpreted, renegotiated, and, and shame is a powerful, powerful emotion Guilt is powerful. By the way, guilt, how do you get rid of your guilt? Say you're sorry. Make restitution. 
they say. When you say, somebody made me feel guilty, and that's bullshit, now you're caught. Because, in fact, what guilt says is make restitution, try harder, do better. And then you get rid of the guilt. It resolves itself. Unless, of course, you're buying a bill of goods from somebody who, who has suggested to you you are responsible and requires an examination of whether you really are responsible. Right? Anger, you made me angry. Here's a big one. Right? I mean, here's a big one. Anger comes from an interpretation of being vulnerable, of being weak, of being uh, 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 in danger. That's what anger is about. Anger is the kissing cousin of fear. Your mother says to you when you got a cold, oh, I feel so bad for you. Your father starts to scream at you. Why? Because, you see, he's afraid of what's going on. And men tend to treat anger differently than women. I don't know how much of this is uh, evolutionary and biological. I don't know how much of this is cultural. Uh, That's a long discussion. I'm not sure I even care about anymore. But when somebody is angry, they're feeling vulnerable. So when somebody says, you made me feel angry, the question I ask at that point is, what is it about what they did or said that made you so vulnerable? And it doesn't have to be uh, a physical fear. It can be they made, you, you, you felt ashamed or you felt uh, guilty. Uh, guilt is, is also a powerful motivator of anger. If you scream loud enough, you don't have to feel guilty. You made me feel guilty. In effect, what you're saying is you've hurt me. You've wounded me. Uh, anger and can turn to rage. And it's interesting that when people are not in contact with their anger and when they don't know appropriate ways of expressing their anger, and appropriate to me, again, this is a value judgment, is to open your mouth and say, uh, you know, what you've said has hurt me. It's wounded me. And boy, are there people, again, men more, more than women, I think, who can never say that. I'll never give them the satisfaction of knowing they've hurt me. Okay, you don't have to. On the other hand, if somebody says to you something that really wounds you, and you're angry, you want to pick up a chair and hit them, you see. To me now, there's, we've entered into a kind of a dangerous situation. Why is it what they've said? Is it true? And if it's true, do you have to do something to apologize or make restitution? And I'm not talking now about what's right or wrong here or hierarchies. I'm talking about how to resolve anger, how not to feel guilty, how to get rid of that awful shame that so many people have so that they're afraid to go into the boss and ask for a raise or they're afraid when they're in a social situation to go up and introduce themselves and say hello uh, when, they're, when they're set to pounce because they expect that someone's going to say something to them that's going to be hurtful and cruel and they don't give that other person a chance. Uh, I, I think all of this suggests that we have to be vulnerable to other people and to our own feelings. Uh, otherwise, we can't deal with them. Uh, we can't resolve these situations. Actually, anxiety, I did a show, Anxiety is Your Friend. Um, anxiety is a wonderful emotion, and what it really means is, usually socially, that some bullshit is going on. And on one level, you know it's bullshit, but you don't want to face it. 
somebody who's anxious. I mean, I, I somebody I worked with had chronic anxiety for months before uh, she got married. And fortunately, uh, we were able to discuss this. And, and in her own mind, this was a mistake. Everybody wanted her to get married. He was the right religion. He made the right amount of money. Everything was fabulous. There was only one thing. She didn't really care for him that way uh, sexually. She, he was a nice guy. She wouldn't have minded being his friend. But that's not where the relationship went. And, and she was uh, looking around, and she was turned on by this guy or that guy, and she didn't want to admit that. What kind of person am I? Uh, if I'm sexually aroused by other people? And the answer to that, of course, is I'm a human being. Uh, I don't have to act on my feelings, but I have to know what they are. And if I'm going into a marriage, if I'm going to live with somebody, and sex is going to be a, a significant and important part of that relationship, because I want it to be, and my partner is not someone who uh, turns me on or satisfies me, then that has to either be worked through in one way or another uh, before the marriage takes place. Otherwise, we're now talking about all kinds of you made me feel guilty and shame and anxiety and all kinds of emotions uh, that then don't get expressed, don't get worked through, and after a while really clog up a relationship, create that abyss between people where they dare not speak uh, and dare not even look. And the abyss and the separation gets worse and worse over the years. Uh, and again, I see so many relationships, 10, 15, 20 years into a relationship. It's like the third ring of hell uh, because the, the basic problems were not worked through and discussed and spoken about uh, before they got involved. Well, this wasn't too bad. I like this. Um, anybody wants to call, they can do that. Uh, the number is, well, I can't see the number because I put up the uh, the chat. Anyway, um, I have to think of something to do next week. If anybody would like to uh, give me a suggestion of a show they would like me to do, I would love that. If they would uh, send a, a memo, uh, they can do that. And... Um, uh, I would love to talk with people. I'm sort of running out of, of my favorite topics. Uh, I, I keep hoping that when I read the paper, I watch television, something will smack me between the eyes and I can do something impassioned about something that's going on typically. But otherwise, I sort of go back into my uh, professorial mode and talk uh, in the way I talk today. So, I think that should be about it. Uh, Anybody wants to call, talk, write? Okay. Have a good one. Uh, I see Marion BG has been here and guest 1085, and I thank you for being there. I really do. Uh, it's nice to know that there's a couple of people. Uh, I find that, again, uh, I think I would give this up if, if there weren't uh, a number of people who archived, who, who, who listen, either visit the archive or download it, but certainly if you like this show, tell your friends. Uh, I don't want to be famous, but um, I really would like a large audience. It would be great fun. I would like people to jump in, yell at me, talk to me, have all kinds of discussions. Okay. Have a good one. And if I think of something for next week, if somebody knows a topic that they would like to contact me about, 
That would be absolutely wonderful. Have a great week. It's almost cocktail hour. I have a really good bottle of red wine that's waiting. And so I will say good day.